Sundays, Yom Yerushalayim. Our special begins at 7 a.m. Eastern Time live from our New York City studios. And that at 11 a.m. will be on the Celebrate Israel parade route. Make sure to join us. Our coverage presented by the Brooklyn Cyclones. And that's going to be happening starting at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. NahumSiegel.com, Facebook.com, slash NahumSiegel Network. And, of course, on the NSN app, you can hear the whole thing. Uh, you can comment on the app during the parade. We should be able to have enough manpower to uh, to check the app during the show, or during the broadcast, and we'll go to at least probably three three thirty, depending on the uh, on the speed of the parade. We'll figure that out, and uh, I hope you'll join us. One of the people who I hope will stop by at sixty fourth Street and Fifth Avenue in New York City is my next guest. Uh, that's where we'll be broadcasting from, 64th and 5th. And he is, of course, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Yeah, Boca Tov to you. You all set to stop by our broadcast booth on Sunday, or you're going to rush right by it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm not in a rushing day that, but uh, God willing, I hope I hope the crowd will be so big that it'll be impossible to find. I want to start and end this conversation with a reminder about why it's so important to come to the parade. I know people we've discussed this over the years. People have said there may not be a need for the parade anymore. I don't know if there's there, one could argue it's never been more important than now to remind everybody that. We, as an American Jewish community and really American community in general, supports Israel and wants to be out there in vocal support of Israel. So I'm sure you join me in reminding everybody that Fifth Avenue is a good place to spend their time this Sunday with their family. I think it's the only place, and I think it goes beyond just um, demonstrating support for Israel. I think given the events, the rise in anti-Semitic attacks, the anti-Israel uh, anti-Zionist, the um, BDS movement, the all of these efforts, uh, which trace themselves back to Rabbalah and Gaza and Tehran, and which uh, are, are worldwide in scope, but now have found root in the United States and growing here very rapidly, uh, as reflected in the statistics of attacks and, and uh, incidents. That the um, that this is a chance to declare to the world where we stand and who we are, and that the the uh, message to young people, both to be confident as Jews and to stand proudly with Israel and with the community, and for others to do the same for other public officials and um, uh, elected and otherwise to be there to show their support and the association with the community. The absence says something as well. Yeah, it, it does, and too many people are absent. So everybody think twice before you decide to spend your Sunday somewhere else. Join us on Sunday on Fifth Avenue in New York City for all the reasons Malcolm just said. And believe you me, it'll be a, a very positive experience for your children and grandchildren as they uh, get an opportunity to demonstrate and to uh, – and to celebrate Israel in New York City this Sunday. All right, so last night I saw, um, I was in the crowd when Danny Dion was uh, speaking, 
And uh, you know how you know how usually people say uh, we're proud to be Israel's proud to be the only democracy in the Middle East. <laughs> so he gets up and he says, "These days, people are saying Israel's the only anarchy in the Middle East." <laughs> and I thought that was such a great line. Uh, I mean, I don't know if they're the political laughing stock. I don't know how other countries and other governmental bodies are viewing Israel in light of this week's news, but. I, 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 even though you did mention the possibility last Friday, because remember, it took me by surprise when someone actually asked me about the possibility of Netanyahu forming a government. I was like, yeah, of course, it's a fait accompli. He's going to form a government. I did not expect it. I, I, I have a feeling that, that everyone who was observing this thought that at least at the last minute, if not earlier, there would be some type of deal. It looks like they were never close to a deal. Would that be the right way of putting it? I think that the outcome was a surprise even to Netanyahu, who probably had believed him up until the last day. And he was negotiating, even reached out to labor, supposedly, made a generous offer to them to come in uh, that he would cobble together a deal. He could have had a government of 60, but it would have been constantly unstable and subject to um, such tremendous pressure in, in trying to allocate the the uh, portfolios. I don't think he had any choice to, but to do what he did and to um, uh, go to the to the president or to have the Knesset dissolve itself. One of the dangers was that that you could have had the president turn to uh, um, somebody else in Likud, perhaps, or somebody else to try and formulate. A government. I don't know that anybody could have been more successful. Although Blue and White said they would go with Likud if it was a different leader, at least some of the members did. So Netanyahu was really had limited options, and it's it is a product of the the list system of the nature of a coalition government. Look, European governments uh, also suffered from similar things because they had uh, also to put together coalitions. How many times have European governments had two elections in one year, though? Is it is it common? It was, uh, no, certainly not common, but for governments to, to fall, uh, you see Mrs. May now stepping down, uh, you see the, um, and, and then they have to see whether what kind of government they can find a successor for her and seeing how long that government will go before its challenge. Uh, I know in Italy for a very long time you had uh, governments changing sometimes more than once a year, but on an ongoing basis. And the fact is that it's been relatively stable. The Israeli government lasts on average two and a half years. This one went much longer, almost full term. Uh, um, so you know, it's it's inherent in the system. It doesn't look good to the world to ex- try to explain to them that it was really one individual that held it up, and whether he has a personal vendetta, as many say, against Netanyahu and wants to embarrass him and to force his hand, whether he thinks that by appearing to be the guy to stand up to the religious parties or to Netanyahu or something, that he will get more votes in the next election— or whether he really doesn't care about the political process, but really trying to, to um, it's, it's a personal matter. It, we don't know. I don't know what's in his heart, but but the um, the religious parties were forthcoming. They tried to reach an accommodation, and Netanyahu did as well, but, uh, but uh, Lieberman was having nothing of it. So you have 
the resultant situation. Now the election will be held September 17th. It's possible that you end up with another stalemate. I mean, there, we don't know what will happen. Three months is a very long time. When the election ended in April, did the prime minister assume that Lieberman would be a natural partner to form a coalition? Natural is a you know is a strange word. Likely, for, for, like, for like what goes on in this like, Likely, I don't think anything is a likely partner. Uh, uh, yeah, I think he would have concluded that he would be, even though there's been you know a lot of personal tension, maybe animosity. Others say to, between them uh, for also for a long time. And is it safe to say that if it was not for this uh, draft issue? He would have found, he meaning Lieberman, would have found another issue to hold up the form, formation of a coalition? Yeah, but it has to be one. It had to be an issue which would rally his base. This mm, does. Right. And, uh, you know, the the Russian immigrants largely are the base of his power. And so now he, he, he can go back to them on this issue and say, you know, it's religious coercion. It's whatever the, the um, however he'll sell it to his uh his core constituency, and he could pick up some other votes for it. That you know that he stood up, and he'll say he's the only guy who was willing to right. you know fight for principle and risk his political career. So, so to the Israeli public, this does not seem like the vote of no confidence, sort of that that it looks like to so many people on this side of the world. If you ask the average person, I think about what their impression is of what happened this week in Israel, they're pretty down on Netanyahu. People are like, oh, you know, he, he must not be as powerful as we thought he was, or or he has really waned in terms of his influence in the political scene in Israel. It, are the people of Israel looking at that the way? And the reason I ask is because if the former is correct, one might think that Netanyahu would, would actually consider resigning at this point, you know, and, and stepping aside, having having experienced this where... You know, he just doesn't have the power to form a majority like he used to. Well, he never had. I don't think, you know, that, that he, he, he got 35 votes, which is, uh, and equaled the opposition did too, but 35 is a significant block. The, the um, I don't know that people take it out so much personally on him. They don't like the instability and the the um, trading and and all the things that go into forming a government and to uh, undertake a complete upheaval would be, um, and you know, there are some steps that have been taking, raising the threshold, doing other things, trying to create greater stability. But when you ask who would they want to see as prime minister, by and large, they will continue to say, Netanyahu, there's nobody else who has emerged as a challenge to him. Um, neither within Likud nor outside. There are obviously people in Likud who who are waiting on the uh, sidelines, and if Netanyahu steps down, that they would be natural candidates to to towards succession. Uh, but I think for Bibi, the the um, you know he he he's not a guy who who's going to easily give up. He faces the legal challenges, and I think he hopes still that that law could be passed, even though that, that has become one of the issues in this election, that um, they're saying, you know, it's, it's a, a challenge to the democratic nature of Israel to have a law that, that gives immunity to people while in office. Uh, and he has indicated, I think, or in the negotiations, said he would withdraw the law, um, 
but those parties did not come in. So I don't know now whether that goes ahead. It's obviously a point of contention. There were the demonstrations against the law. Um, it became a rallying point for, for the opposition against right. him. So let me ask you this. Is is BB in election number two, let's call it the second half of the year election, <laughs> is BB in election 2019 number two weaker than BB pre-election number one of 2019? It's impossible to tell now. You're talking about a long period of time in which there will be further steps regarding both his legal status, but uh, more importantly in the international arena, we don't know what will happen now vis-a-vis the deal of the century, whether the administration will be forthcoming, will they do part one, will the meeting in Bahrain go ahead and develop the economic platform. It's very hard to believe that they could get into the political issues uh, for the same reasons they didn't do it and waited until election one was over, I think that they have to wait for election two, which, and it may be good for the process not to have to deal with the political issues. And they're, they're sort of given an exemption now because of the Israeli political uh, uh, condition. So they can talk about the economics and, and get pledges and get people behind it uh, and, and not have to face immediately the um, the political issues. And I think that uh, Jason and the others are sensitive enough, and, and they, they've just visited the Middle East. They, they've been in, they were in Israel and in other countries to, to talk about the next steps. We've seen statements from some of the Arab countries saying that, they, you know, they will come to, to um the Bahrain for the for the meeting, the Palestinians continue to be the rejectionists and will be left behind if if the process uh, goes on. Obviously, it's going to encumber it. It's, it's going to right. make it uh, more difficult. But at the same time, there will be important steps. You saw there's a three-way meeting of the national security advisors of uh, Israel, Russia, and uh, the United States. Uh, Sec- uh, Mr. Bolton, the national security advisor. Uh, but um, the Russian security advisor may have been to treat the, the U.S., um, the Israeli national security advisor, are going to meet in June. Uh, there, there will be a lot of things and a lot of platforms and certainly a lot of issues. I'm sorry. I, I got I to I go back for a second, though, to the election strategy just with two quick things. Number one, isn't it ironic that he was lauded, meaning Bibi, pre-election one, of how he courted the smaller right-wing parties to essentially, especially once we saw he got 35 mandates, essentially to guarantee himself that he'd be able to form a government, and yet that didn't help in the end. It's pretty funny because for a month people were praising him to the hilt that he was, you know, that it was such a, a brilliant diplomatic strategy. Well, it will be what he will do now too, and it, it did not fully work. And the um, uh, his hope is, I think that. With Cajalon coming in, we don't know yet what will happen with Bennett and uh, and if Shaked comes to Likud, as they have said, or she may run again uh, with Bennett. Supposedly they met this past week. I think that will still be his strategy. He's not going to win the votes from the blue and white voters or from Merits or from the Arab parties. He, he can only draw from there, and his hope would have been also that um, – that Lieberman would have been out and others, and they or wouldn't have made the threshold, and so he would have been in a position to to draw the the votes get wasted if you don't make right. the three and a half percent.
threshold. Do those do those parties that had the quote unquote wasted votes are they going to primaries again? Is that what's yes. going to happen? Most likely, they're all going to go to primaries again, and a well, lot. Of, I don't know that they go to primaries. We don't know. I don't know whether they. I don't think they're mandated to, but I think mm-hmm. that they that some may do it. Like I would, I would believe um, Bennett. Well, it would have to reassemble and and uh, be, uh, see if he can re-energize the party, and especially if Shaquette uh, goes with Likud. So, I, 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 it, but the parties are going to have to go back and and spend three months now organizing, raising funds, doing the the campaign that uh, that they just went through, and the people of Israel are tired of it. It's it's a very draining, and it's. Uh, very demanding, and there are really serious issues on the horizon. And the, the discovery of that tunnel, which actually was discovered a while ago, but the, the size of it, the fact that you have a, a kilometer-long tunnel, 250 meters deep, tells you the commitment of of uh, Hezbollah and, and Iran, despite the financial conditions, that the, that the, the dangers on the north and the desire still to penetrate Israel. And of course, we just finish the, the round in the south, we see the, um, uh, some of the other challenges. Um, Iran openly threatens uh, to, to uh, expand its, its weapons mass destruction, and, and De Bolton says that they are, in fact, already doing it, and they have evidence that they'll present to the, to the, um, uh, to, to the uh, Congress, to the U.N., rather, but, but the Bavarian government in Germany uh, their intelligence units came up with some very damning uh, reports, and the you know that this even goes against the government of, of Germany, which was a big supporter of the uh, JCPOA, and and they said that they want to expand their weapons of mass destruction. So the people of Israel, you know, have really big issues and and serious issues. Uh, this will go over, you know, till, till the summer, till September 17th, and the, the, you know, the circus that accompanies the campaign will be in evidence, and and people will be very tired of it. I just wonder if maybe because you've pointed this out before that they never have elections during the summer because of all the the travel and uh, and uh, you know inconsistency and in people being around Israel. Uh, I just wonder if the real campaign is basically going to wait till the end of August anyway, and that they're not going to really, you know, ramp things up in the early parts of the summer. Uh, that may be the only as, as the case here. Uh, people, there will be efforts, and he he will have to do a lot of um, outreach and, and building a lot of bridges. But yes, the the real campaign here it, it starts after Labor Day. There, it'll start earlier, maybe mid-August. You know what that means, Malcolm? It means the campaign starts Rosh Chodesh Elul. <laughs> I mean, the well, mu- it the was mu- an issue with the uh, Haredi parties about uh, coming to Elosman when people, the yeshivas, are functioning and they don't want the distraction. They asked that the election be held in the end of August, uh, but the date was set for whatever. How about reason. it's during Elsman? How about ninety days notice before an election? How about it's during Elsman, a, a time where the Jewish people should try to stay away from these types of rhetoric, and, and you know, and have a more peaceful coexistence before the high holidays. Yeah, but you don't want them staying away from the polls. That's, the <laughs> that's I guess that's true in the end. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored. Digital radio around the world, the web, and NahumSiegel.com, and the NahumSiegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Support us 
and the work we do here on a daily basis by going to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. By the way, that tunnel you mentioned, you said about the um, kilometer in length, 22 stories estimated in terms of its depth. I live in a 21-story building. You know how deep that is? That is quite an effort to create a tunnel. probably in your basement now. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite amazing to build a tunnel like that. And the enemy is, is, I mean, and and imagine doing it, you know, tunnel building makes noise. Tunnel building can be, you know, can, can, can attract onlookers certainly can attract attention when, you know, the Israeli uh, uh, armed forces are paying careful attention to that border. It's really amazing what they're able to accomplish, frankly. It is, and they had to have special equipment to do this. They carve it into the into rock, um, and it was 250 feet into Israeli territories, territory. So it's it's a kilometer long. That's, that's more than, almost, it's about 3,300 feet, as I recall, and the fact, as you said, 260 feet, Deep. God, it's 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 mind-boggling, and uh, this was the sixth, the sixth, and supposedly the last tunnel that had been uh, uncovered. And the you know, with all the reports that the Hezbollah, you know, was going begging for money, and that the Houthis were raising money for the Hezbollah, um, it seems that uh, they still have sufficient um, uh, money for this. And and now that Bolton said that the evidence that Iran was behind the attacks on the ships. That uh, in the Gulf and, and Pompeo, Secretary Pompeo said that that it's um, uh, that they did it to raise the price of oil and because of the frustration with U.S. sanctions, the U.S. sanctions are biting hard and they they have reduced the the export of oil from Iran, which cuts them off from uh, a significant source of their of their income, and I, I don't know how much longer. They can function at the same level. I think it's being reduced all the time, and all the reports we have indicated that the frustration of the people with the with their government, uh, and especially with the cut of those sanctions, the waivers of the sanctions, even India and China were given, uh, I think, a, a certain cap in the amount of oil that they could take. Uh, but essentially, everybody else was cut off on May second. So the we and then the Gulf Cooperation Council met this week and it was largely against Iran and six countries, led by the UAE and Saudi Arabia, uh, took some very strong stands. Uh, it was a quote emergency meeting, but interestingly, Qatar was there and not the Emir, but the the Prime Minister came, uh, and they called on Iran to stop the money to militias and terrorist organizations. I think the Iraqis abstained on some of the votes. Uh, again, given their position in the Iranian control within Iraq, it's, it's of significant portions of Iraq. It's uh, it's predictable, but the the fact that you had this gathering and that the um, they talked about security measures against the attacks on oil assets, and the United States um, backed them on this. It shows that there is a, a growing recognition and, and um, reaction to the threat posed by Iran. It is not gone. It continues in the same way that, that it did. And, and you know, the um, Khamenei posted on Quds Day, which is actually today there, uh, coincides with Yom Yerushalayim. Mm. Uh, they posted pictures of sinking U.S. ships uh, and Israeli ships on a sea of, of uh, Palestinian kafiyas. And the threats, the language, the rhetoric continues almost unabated in, in terms of uh, 
the threats and the the word the, the new revelations of how much Iran is involved in the BDS and stimulating fake news sites, uh, creating 73 platforms, uh, different uh, um, vehicles in, on the Internet, and, and creating fake identities to, in order to get out anti-Israel, anti-Semitic information. And uh, this is a real campaign. It's not, um, it, it is not a haphazard action. It's, it's very much backed by government and has the resources of a government uh, behind it. Amazing. Uh, I said to you last week that it, it looks like this anti-Semitism topic is going to be something we look at practically on a weekly basis. Uh, I compared it to the message of Islamic fundamentalism and its threat uh, from 20 years ago or so. Uh, first of all, I wanted to just um, talk about the reaction to the whole NYU episode. Um, Stephen Thrasher, an NYU doctoral graduate and professor at Northwestern, lauded NYU's Department of Social and Cultural Analysis' decision to support the BDS movement because he said, I quote, this is what we are called to do. This is our NYU legacy. Hamilton, meaning the uh, NYU president, can be seen applauding Thrasher when he concluded his remarks. And then afterwards, he called Thrasher's remarks objectionable. Apparently, uh, these remarks, by the way, were not in the original text that was handed in that he'd use. And uh, both he, uh, meaning the president of NYU and and subsequently the president at uh, Northwestern, where he's a professor, um, you know, released statements in this regard. And I think that the 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 thing that's most concerning to us, although this you know you can't justify this happening anywhere, but I think what's most concerning to us is happening in our backyard right here in New York. And I think it's important on a regular basis, maybe not weekly, but certainly a regular basis, to remind people in positions of uh, of power, of philanthropy, of connections, of relationship with the people at NYU, where we see you know these types of episodes escalating. Uh, they've got to use their influence that every time they're asked to participate in something, to make a financial decision, etc., they have to bring up this topic of what is happening on the campus. So, first of all, I think it's a daily issue, not even weekly, that uh, the, the number of incidents, the number of events that are taking place, and just take a highlights of just this past week since we talked, you've seen the debate in, in Germany about wearing a kippah that has become now that the chancellor had to get involved, and others about whether Jews can be permitted or should or advised to wear a yarmulke in public. And there, there was the the minister, the person in charge of, of uh, fighting anti-Semitism, advised Jews not to wear it, and Merkel and others, obviously, after a storm of reaction, came out and said, no, we have to provide security. We need security at every Jewish shul, synagogue, kindergarten, everything. Um, not likely to happen, but but the very fact that the chancellor points this out and recognizes that the depth of the anti-Semitism in, in Holland, they they, pay, they are, are now summoning two of the key molim, um, uh, people engage who, who do the circumcision because they claim they don't have medical degrees and uh, they could face serious charges, criminal charges for for that. Wow. And it was part of new laws that were, were passed. The NYU situation is particularly egregious, A, because it's in New York and the Jewish students and Jewish uh, faculty have become under tremendous pressure there. The, uh, I have had exchanges with President Hamilton about the first round of incidents, and now this Thrasher uh, case, and Thrasher has an endowed professorship at Northwestern. Uh, he, he may not have included in his statement, but 
for those who watched it, and it's on the Internet and available, he didn't simply say something. He pumped his fists. He, he uh, exaggerated the presentation of those words. And uh, people said to me, well, the, the Hamilton wasn't even listening. Didn't just They applauded at the end like right. you would for anyone. That's not an excuse, and he has come out now to condemn it. But the, but the fact is that it's too much and too little done. And the... Um, uh, you know, we, we've seen other presidents of universities across the country at Cornell, at Brown, at Williams. These are the people we should be talking about, those who have really stood up to, to it. The ambassador of the U.S. in Germany, Richard Grinnell, who is amazing, and said, a kippah, it's every, it's, it's everybody should borrow a kippah, wear it for our Jewish neighbors, educate people that this is a diverse society. And he himself, in fact, called me when he arrived there as ambassador, whether he should wear a yarmulke as he got off the plane. Um, and the um, we saw the complaint now filed against Rockefeller Brothers Foundation, which for a long time we've met with them. We've tried to get them to reform. They They continue to support... Uh, pro-BDS groups and giving grants, so they're now being brought up uh, before the um, New York State Division of Human Rights. But the the uh, and and what I said before about the report that came out of the University of Toronto, a research group there, uh, about the, the uh, bogus online articles, the the uh, incitement, the use of social media, and these these fake websites um, that that Iran is engaged in. The collectivity of all of these things, if you look at this total picture, it is really disturbing. And again, I believe we have to praise the, the people who the president and others have stood even against votes in their universities and the president of Fister College, whom I've talked about, in fact, visited Haifa University this week and, and continues to stand courageously by his, uh, by his position. But it is the issue of the day, and, and we cannot underestimate it. And, and the more I hope that we talk about some of these specifics is to get people to understand how much this has crossed borders, how this is you know, a universal problem. Um, people thought that uh, Corbyn was the problem. Every day, another report on the Labor Party's anti-Semitism. But the outcome of the EU elections, where we see extremist parties and others gaining and what I've talked about here for a long time, that the munition of the center in, in European politics is also in evidence here. And there, there are contrary signs in some of the EU elections, and they say, well, they didn't you know, win as big. And the, the, the fact is that the system itself is under, is under challenge, and that instability is very bad for us. And, and if you think that there could be an economic downturn, how that would further exacerbate these tensions. What's the right piece of advice, Malcolm? Keep pot in Germany or not? Absolutely. You cannot say that people should not wear a keep I would use it wisely. I wouldn't say that, you know, you do it to, in a, depends what neighborhood and where you're walking. That's, that's been true in Europe for decades. Uh, but, but we cannot succumb to this. And they can't have them limit us and, and, you know, have us put our institutions under lock and key that people will be dissuaded from coming or that functions not be held because they're concerned. And I mean here as well as there. And we saw the people who who did this Holocaust memorial, I think, in Georgia, when they were marched on by with people with swastikas and flags, et cetera. Um, we, we need to invest much more in the research elements. I, I saw new information in the last uh, two days that 
further uh, concern me, but about the extent and the, the level of, of um, the organization and how the internet is is becoming a vehicle for for a lot of this and things in ways that we don't even know how we're being uh, manipulated. So the the um, um, we have to 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 find ways, and we are working on new ways to both to educate people, to get them to understand the seriousness, to speak up, to stand up, to demand that our elected officials do the same, that no one has a right to shirk this responsibility now. This is a universal problem. And while Jews may be the first victims, we're never the last, so everybody should be standing up to this because they too will become victims. And we see Christians now being persecuted in so many parts of the world, because when there's indifference, it affects everybody. Has the Prime Minister of Israel invited German jury to uh, use this opportunity to move to Israel, the same way he has done that very often over the last five years with French jury? Uh, well, first of all, it's a, uh, um, it's a much smaller community, and it's a different circumstance, but they have been very active there, and you see that young people, college graduates in a poll done in Germany, a greater number of them are talking about uh, preparing to go to Israel, and uh, what we should be doing, uh, the Jewish agency and the government and others should be doing is preparing them, having Hebrew courses, do other things that will facilitate doctors, lawyers, professionals, others being able to transfer their skills and to to create a new reality. People are going moving all over the world from, from Europe, and uh, many of them obviously are building apartments and houses and buying in Israel. It certainly is reflected in the real estate market, but the, the um, uh, I think the work in Germany is continuing. I don't know that the prime minister will issue a call, per se. And finally, Merkel and, and frankly, other leaders of, of certain European countries, they, they can't come out against certain groups that we would like them to label as terrorist groups, etc., because of the increased... I would guess, Muslim population in their countries, right? They're in a very sensitive position when the Jewish community demands that they take a stand like that. There is no excuse not to make Hezbollah declare Hezbollah's all of its wing a terrorist organization, especially when Hezbollah is active in Germany in the way that they are. There is no excuse not to declare and to, when you see what Hezbollah is doing with the tunnels, with the terrorism around the world, what Iran is doing, you know, as, as I said, the uh, if they they are talking about their German intelligence units from uh, the Bavarian units and others telling that Iran is committed to its weapons of mass destruction program, meaning chemical, biological, and and atomic weapons, that the um, uh, the links that they are trying to create with North Korea and Pakistan and others, and 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 they're saying a lot of this publicly, so it's not a question of of speculation about what their intent is, they declare what their intent is. Look at the statements that the leadership is, ma- is making and, and take them seriously. So the, the failure of, of the part of Germany and other European countries, and maybe even here to a degree, to adequately prepare, to devote the resources, it, it is very difficult to, to do the things that, um, you know, uh, Merkel referred to about putting a policeman accompanying everybody wears the Yarmulke or at every institution, et cetera. But you know what? Today, it's necessary, and it's necessary to take more aggressive stance against those who support terrorism, those who engage in it, and Hezbollah is one. And they're 
refusal to, to do what other European countries have done in, in you know, saying that there is one Hezbollah and it, it has to be listed as a terrorist organization and subject to all the sanctions is disgraceful. By the way, when I, when Iran is criticized, as you mentioned earlier, by other, uh, um, you know, regional powers uh, in terms of some of the activities that they're undertaking, does anybody object to, to the fact that they sponsor the... Uh, uh, Hamas and others, especially in the southern part of Israel, Gaza, etc. Like, are, are are there neighbors and those who criticize Iran who would like them to stop those operations, or that's really not on anybody's radar? Oh no, very much. Egypt uh, uh, for one, Jordan for another. Uh, Jordan is careful about being outspoken because they have a tremendous internal uh, pressures. And um, right now, people who saw the king at the uh, Gulf Summit said that he looked more confident. And they obviously, the, the Gulf countries are very concerned about the stability of Jordan. Uh, Sisi has been remarkable in speaking out and acting. And by the way, sent helicopters and stuff to help fight the forest fires in Israel uh, during that uh, very right. period. Um, yes, it's it is it's an issue that. Uh, the Gulf countries, all of them, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, UAE, all of them, see it as a top priority and, and have withdrawn funds from Gaza because of it. Interesting. Uh, Malcolm, Parade Sunday. Don't forget. Parade Sunday, and everybody should be marching. But remember, you're marching to show support for Israel, but we're also marching for ourselves and for our own community and as a statement to the world and as a reminder and to, to reinforce in the confidence of our own children, and and they need to see the crowns on the signs of the street. The elected officials need to see it. If you didn't plan to go, take it one hour and just join the, the parade. Be there for, for yourselves, for your children, for your grandchildren, and for Israel. Yeah, and I would say for your uh, grandparents as well, think about the marches they were on 80 years ago as demanded by the enemy, and maybe you'll reconsider if you're considering not being in Manhattan to march on behalf of Israel and the Jewish people this coming Sunday. Thank you, Malcolm. Happy Yom Yerushalayim. Oh, next, yeah, next week we will speak, Bezrat Hashem. It'll be Erev, the three-day Yontif. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak next week. Good Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays here for the weekly update. Might even join us Sunday when we'll be at 64th Street and 5th Avenue in New York City celebrating Israel. Make sure you're tuned in, no matter where you are around the world, facebook.com slash Network on our website at NahumSiegel.com, and, of course, in audio form on our app, the NSN Siegel Network app. Make sure to be tuned in.